My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Wendy Goldsmith and Ron Rousseau. Over the last couple of months, it has been hard to miss the reports of the Israeli military injuring many thousands and killing dozens and dozens of unarmed demonstrators in the Palestinian territory of Gaza. What is harder to grasp from much mainstream reporting, however, is the context of this violence. Frequently, mainstream articles speak of these deaths without attributing a cause, or talk of violent clashes and two sides with little explanation, making it difficult to appreciate what is actually happening. And that is, a broad popular movement by Palestinians against colonial occupation, in particular opposing the brutal blockade that targets the 1.8 million residents of Gaza, and demanding the Palestinian right to return to the homes from which they were expelled in 1948, that has been met by the occupying power, Israel, with open military force. All of the harm and death in the course of the Great March of Return actions in the last two months have been inflicted by Israeli forces on Palestinians. If resistance to settler colonial occupation is the big-picture context for the current protests by Palestinians and their violent repression by the Israeli state, then an important piece of more proximal context is the 11-year-long Israeli blockade of Gaza. Over that period, Israel has severely restricted the ability of people and goods to enter and leave Gaza, leading many to describe it as the world's largest open-air prison. Food is rationed to the point where there is significant malnourishment. Access to basic services, including safe drinking water and sanitation, is now, quote, beyond dire, according to UNICEF. Electricity is severely rationed and is often available for no more than a couple of hours a day. Basic items used in healthcare are constantly in short supply or simply unavailable. Gaza has been subjected to multiple military assaults by Israel since the blockade began, and the blockade has meant that much that was destroyed in those assaults simply cannot be rebuilt. The ability of Palestinians to leave Gaza to visit family, to access education or healthcare, or for any other reason, is highly restricted. The degree of harm and trauma inflicted on the people of Gaza over the last decade by the Israeli state is, to quote Wendy Goldsmith, incredible. Goldsmith is a social worker who lives in London, Ontario. Ron Russo is a postal worker in the Yukon. He's the president of his local of the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and the vice president for Indigenous Peoples of the Canadian Labour Congress. Both of them are involved in the Canada Boat to Gaza and in its international counterpart, the Freedom Flotilla Coalition. The Canada Boat to Gaza is a civil society group that originally formed in 2010 after one of the larger Israeli assaults on the already blockaded Gaza Strip. Its aim has been to work with the Freedom Flotilla Coalition groups in many other countries to break the blockade by sea. Between 2008 and 2016, 31 boats have attempted to challenge the Israeli blockade and bring humanitarian supplies into Gaza. Over the course of these attempts, five boats have succeeded in reaching Gaza, while the other 26 were intercepted by the Israeli military. 
In many cases, the Israeli military kidnapped and detained flotilla participants, and in some instances, wounded and killed some of them. This year, the flotilla is trying again. Four boats will be making the attempt, three sent by the Swedish group that participates in the coalition, and the fourth as a joint mission by other international partners, including Canada Boat to Gaza. The boats have already begun their journey, and on their way towards Gaza, they will be making frequent stops in ports to do public education and media events. Russo will be one of the people sailing on one of this year's flotilla boats for at least part of the journey. As an indigenous person himself, he feels a strong connection to the struggles by the Palestinian people against settler colonialism. He's looking forward to using this action as an opportunity to raise awareness about what the people of Gaza are facing, but also to raise awareness about what indigenous people in Canada face, and about the connections between the Palestinian struggle and the struggles of indigenous peoples on Turtle Island. I speak with Goldsmith and Rousseau about the occupation of Palestine, about the blockade of Gaza, and about the work being done by the Canada Boat to Gaza and the Freedom Flotilla Coalition. My name is Wendy Goldsmith. I'm from London, Ontario, and I'm a member of the steering committees for the Canada Boat to Gaza and the Freedom Flotilla Coalition. I am Ron Russo. I live in Carcross in the Yukon, and I'm with the Postal Worker Union, and I'm also the Aboriginal Vice President of the Canada Labour Congress. The Canada Boat to Gaza is a civil society group of people who live in Canada who organized to send a boat to Gaza in 2010 was the first time in response to the acts of aggression and all of the many, many deaths that occurred during Operation Cast Lead. Uh, and Operation Cast Lead refers to the major Israeli assault on Gaza that took place at the very end of 2008 and beginning of 2009. And we joined a group called the Freedom Flotilla Coalition, which includes members from around the world, and together we organized to send flotillas to break the illegal blockade of Gaza. And I, this will be the first time that I'm looking at actually going on the Freedom Flotilla it's about two things. It's about how the Indigenous people in Canada and the people in the Gaza on how we have so many similarities and about getting the word out about what's happening with my people and their people and how we can make things better. So as I'm sure the two of you know far better than me, we could spend hours talking about the background and context for what's happening in Palestine. And I thought that rather than trying to do that, I'd be interested in hearing your approach for conveying the key points, the key essence of what's happening to people that you encounter who don't know much about it? Well, the way I approach it is from a very human perspective. I'm a social worker as well as a mother. And so this issue first really came to my attention during Operation Cast Lead when images of women and children were all over the internet showing the absolute devastation being burned by chemicals, white phosphorus was used by Israel that's never been addressed in the courts of international law or by our government. And so that really alarmed me. And it was the first time that I actually had a visual impression of the state of affairs in Gaza. And since then, it has become infinitely much worse. The UN says that Gaza is on the brink of being uninhabitable. And in fact, when I speak with people in Gaza, I would dare to say that it's uninhabitable already. People are suffering greatly. I know that there's a lot of political discourse around the Middle East, but for me, it boils down to these are human beings and these are children. And if I was living in a situation as dire as those folks in Gaza, then I would want the whole world to be screaming about it. 
And with myself is inside the past little while, there's just been so much going on with less water going in, with people who are running out of water, very similar to what's happened with the people in Canada. Uh, And Ron here is comparing the lack of access to clean drinking water in Gaza to the widespread lack of clean drinking water in reserve communities in Canada. With the amount of disease going on because of the lack of water, because of the lack of food, because of the ongoing threat of even protesting, you know, unarmed protesters getting shot. It's one of the things that we just need to be keeping on and making sure that people are aware of what's going on and how it's such a human rights issue that affects everybody. Tell listeners a bit about the blockade of Gaza. Gaza is the world's largest open-air prison. There is no freedom of movement, so people are trapped inside Gaza. They can't leave for things as critical as medical assistance. Their families have been torn apart, literally. The living conditions are really unacceptable, and the blockade has been going on for 11 years. It is a military occupation, and it's destroying the way of life of Palestinians. We're concerned about the right of return, Palestinians who have been expelled through the Nakba. Uh, And Nakba is the Arabic word for catastrophe. It's how Palestinians name the initial mass expulsion of Palestinians from their homes and communities by the nascent Israeli state in 1948. Many people were forced out of their homes. People continue to be forced out of their homes in the West Bank. There are Israeli settlements cropping up and creating an apartheid state where Palestinians don't have the same rights as Israelis do. As Ron said, they're being shot at during peaceful protests. So this is, I mean, I'm going to call it a duck a duck. It's genocide. And our government is complicit in this. So it's really critical that we as Canadians here on Turtle Island wake up and hold our government accountable. Explain a bit more about some of the impacts of the blockade on the people of Gaza. Just about everything is being kept out of Gaza. They have been bombed and bombed time and time again, and building materials are not being allowed in. Food is rationed to the point where there is starvation. Electricity is rationed to the point where some households get it from one to four hours a day, and you don't get to pick which hours those are. So You might have electricity from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m., and that's when you need to cook to feed your family. The fishermen are not being permitted to fish more than three or four nautical miles offshore at risk of being shot. There have been a number of fishermen who have lost their lives because they were just trying to feed their family. Israel is trying to control every single way that Palestinians are able to leave Gaza. They control all of the orders. Children are constantly afraid for their safety when they go to school. They don't know when the next bombs are coming or when a school or hospital is going to be targeted. The amount of trauma that that population has experienced over the last 11 years, that's how long the blockade has been in place, is incredible. And as a person who works with traumatized people, this is something that is unbelievable. What Israel has done to the human psyche of Palestinians is monstrous. I've heard about the electricity going in for, you know, they try for three hours a day, but as Wendy said, it can be whenever it comes up. 80% of the population depends on aid for food, and there's not enough food going in for aid, and people are literally starving. 
And then on top of that is the water. The last main supply of water is being rationed and it's gotten to the point where the main cause of child death inside the Gaza is related to water diseases. So it's not like it's something that's being put on themselves. This is something that's being done to these people. You know, the water coming in is held by the Israeli there and then blocking the influx of people going in for food, blocking people from heading to the waters for fishing for what used to be the main staple for food. And, you know, the farmlands have been pretty much taken away or seized and then along with the water. We need to get up and talk about what's going on with the people that are there and making sure that the world is aware of what's going on, as well as our own government. It's really a collective punishment, which is illegal under international law. Israel repeatedly violates international law and is never held accountable for their actions. And, you know, these people are suffering. Gaza's population is largely young people. Many families have been destroyed because their husbands, sons, daughters have either been killed, injured, or incarcerated indefinitely. I mean, many, many Palestinians are held on administrative detention, whatever that is. They're not even charged with anything, and they're held indefinitely. The amount of destruction that has never been able to be rebuilt in Gaza has been devastating. And I understand the blockade is not only making it hard for goods to come into Gaza, it also makes it hard for people to go out. Yeah, that's correct. So the borders get opened at random times and there's never any guarantee that that a Palestinian will be able to move freely. And so they are in prison. They're penned in. So for education purposes, for hospitalization, to visit a relative, they're not permitted to leave. They are all being treated as animals and as enemies of the state of Israel. And again, it's a collective punishment. Families have been separated. It's a tactic of torture in my mind. The new campaign that we are embarking on is called A Just Future for Palestine, and that includes the right of return. We want Palestinians who are in the diaspora, and there are many, who want to return and who want to be reunited with family. We think that's a fundamental human right, and that's something that we want to raise awareness about. Yeah, and you know, is being held within and then the land getting smaller and smaller as new Israeli buildings go up and they're squeezing off the land. But you know, is when we talk about indigenous, the Palestinian people fit the full definition of indigenous being moved further and further and more being taken, it falls right into line and exactly in what happened with the colonization of the people here in Canada. Like very similar things. You know, we had passes to be able to leave our reservations, you know, and that went all the way up into the 50s. Lots of things are are very similar. And I've heard that South Africa came to Canada and learned how the Canadian government took the land from the people and put them into reserves and had them use a pass system to get out. And then all of a sudden, we end up with the Israeli government learning from what happened inside of South Africa and adjusting it to their own. So really, as it goes all the way back to what happened in Canada and using our system, I think. Tell me about the origins of the Canada Boat to Gaza. The Canada Boat to Gaza began in 2010, and it was a direct response to Operation Cast Lead when Israel attacked Gaza and over 1,500 people were killed, many of them women and children. 
a small group of us got together who had been already involved in the issue of Palestine. Some of us had been participants in the Gaza Freedom March, where over 1,500 activists from around the world converged in Egypt with the intention of breaking the blockade by land. We intended to go from Cairo to Gaza, but we were stopped by the Egyptian government. We spent a very eventful week in Egypt. Every day we had direct actions in an attempt to sway the government's decision to not let us go. We were not successful at that, but we did raise a lot of awareness and caused a little trouble for the Egyptian government and their military. And after that, we really felt that we needed to continue and Canada needed to raise its voice. I started to realize that our government is very complicit in Israel's war crimes because we support them. We support their apartheid policies. Justin Trudeau has not spoken out about the fact that peaceful protesters were mowed down with live bullets just for saying that they wanted to have their land back. I mean, it's unfathomable to me that our government can be so complicit. So in 2010, a bunch of us spoke and we decided that we wanted to join the Freedom Flotilla Coalition, which was an extension of the Free Gaza movement. So in 2008, I think it was, the Free Gaza movement started sending boats to Gaza. And one time they were successful in breaking the blockade and reaching the shores of Gaza. And then the Mavi Marmara happened. For those who don't know, it was a Turkish boat that was part of the flotilla, and on it were hundreds of internationals. It was attacked by Israel, and eight or nine people lost their lives, and some were actually killed execution-style by Israeli commandos who boarded the boat and seized it and kidnapped everybody on board that they didn't kill. So, you know, it's like once you see something, you can't unsee it. And so we gathered like minds across the country. We have had representation from international Jewish voices and just concerned people around the world who understand these issues. So we got together and we started campaigning and raising money and raising awareness. And we're still going strong. And Ron, I understand that the Canadian Union of Postal Workers has been something of a leading voice in the Canadian labor movement in supporting the Palestinian people. Tell me a bit more about that. So the uh, postal workers have been a main supporter. We just had a president of one of the postal workers come to Canada. He was here for almost a month. He's a Palestinian who is not inside the Gaza, so he has different rights. But even for him to leave, he was worried about getting out and getting back. We've been doing this for, I think this is about his fourth time here. And, you know, he comes out, he speaks at our events and talks with different organizations about what's happening in Palestine with his people. What's going on in terms of the organizing this year for the Canada Boat to Gaza? Well, it's very exciting. We're calling this campaign Just Future for Palestine because we believe simply that Palestinians deserve justice. They have a right to a just future, just the same as every one of us. And that includes freedom of movement and the right to return to their homeland. We want to emphasize this basic human right. We want to emphasize the fact that Palestinians living in Gaza and the West Bank and the diaspora have been denied these rights for over 11 years now because of the illegal blockade. We're organizing with people around the world, including Ship to Gaza, Norway, Italy, South Africa, Spain, Sweden, the International Coalition, which is out of the UK, the US, Kia Ora Gaza, which is from New Zealand, MyCare in Malaysia, Turkey, 
And also we have allies in France and Australia. We truly are an international coalition. We meet regularly to discuss our plans and we're excited. We have four boats this time on this flotilla. The El Auda is the name of the coalition boat, which means the return. One of the goals this time around is to make as many port stops as possible. So, you know, in literary terms, you think of it like it's a slow burn. We want to really educate people at ports. We want to make a big splash as much as we can in local media, wherever the boats are, as well as internationally, of course. Eventually, all the boats will converge. Some of them will be going through the channel system through the UK. Others will be hugging the sea, making stops in places like Norway, the UK, Spain, Italy, etc. So lots of stops along the way that will be announced as we go along. We have to be a little bit vague about what's happening. We have lots of people joining the boats who are internationally known. In Canada, we really wanted to focus on the Indigenous issue and how it relates to people in Palestine, because as Ron has been talking about, we really feel that there are parallels to be drawn. And, you know, when I think about how I was educated about Palestine and actually about our own Indigenous population, I didn't get the straight goods, you know, I didn't really fully understand the apartheid. I didn't understand the oppression. I didn't understand the occupation until I opened my eyes and did some research for myself but it's certainly not taught in school. So I think our main goal is to break the blockade, always. But secondary and equally important to that is to educate Canadians and to raise awareness and to put pressure on our government. What an opportunity to be able to go on such a voyage, to be able to speak about what's going on inside the Gaza, but also what's going on here in Canada and continues to go on with our people because we have such similarities I'm really excited about, you know, talking about the oppression and the occupation, because as we've seen, we have very similar paths, even though it's changed in how it it happens to our people, and it's not right out in the front as it had been inside the past. But I think that, you know, lots of different countries don't understand the struggles of our people that continue. So I'm excited to bring that forward to talk about the similarities I'm also excited to be on the boat and learn and learn from all the different people that are going. I'm also at the same time, I'm quite saddened about what's going on. I've been kind of shocked that we don't know more and how much work we have to be ensuring that people are aware of what's going on. Who's involved in the group in Canada? We're all just concerned citizens. This is nonpartisan. We don't support any particular politics except for the need for human rights. So we have people across the country, as I said, in Vancouver. We have a retired grandma who has been an activist for many, many years. We have a filmmaker who lives in Vancouver. Here in London, a linguistics professor. I'm a social worker. In Toronto, we have a Jewish priestess. We have a woman who has some seafaring experience who lives in Newfoundland. We have other activists on the West Coast. So we are as diverse a group as the international group. We have face-to-face meetings about once or twice a year, and they're always fascinating to me. We meet in some European city. The people who are concerned about this, you know, one of the main organizers in Sweden is a music composer whose mother lives in Israel and she's 90 something. And because he's been involved in the flotilla work for so long and has attempted to break the blockade by being on the boats, he is not permitted to enter Israel. 
and his mother can't travel. And so he's not able to see his dying mother. Another woman who is also Israeli and living in Israel realized, like saw through her own eyes, the oppression and the effects of the blockade and said that she had to speak out about it. We have from Sweden, another musician who is in a relationship with a Palestinian and through that relationship has learned about the effects of the occupation. And so we all come to this work from different perspectives. As I said before, I mean, mine at the beginning, it was a humanitarian thing. Just as a mother, I couldn't stand to not do anything. And through my action, I've learned more about the politics. So we all come at this work from different perspectives. But when we do come together, it's kind of a beautiful thing. A few times you've alluded to Canadian complicity in the occupation and in the blockade and so on. Talk more about what that complicity consists of. I think it's primarily in silence, in not speaking out, as I said, you know, peaceful protesters being literally mowed down by Israeli snipers and the Canadian government not reacting to that. It's very disturbing to me that any interest could supersede human rights. I think that's very shameful for our government. We saw in the NDP leadership election, for example, Nikki Ashton came out as a strong voice for Palestine to her detriment. I mean, she lost that race. So it's very clear that not only our elected government, but our non-elected parties are still not willing to take a principled stand for Palestine. In my opinion, it's shameful. And I think people are afraid. I remember when Libby Davies spoke out about Palestine and she was maligned by the party. For me, it's not complicated. I mean, you're either complicit or you're not. And our government is, and there's no gray area in my mind. And I think that their silence speaks volumes. So if this year's flotilla goes well, what do you hope that will result in? First thing is a big beach party on the shores of Gaza. When we had the Women's Boat to Gaza campaign two years ago, and the boats were in the water, and people were watching, and we got very, very close to Gaza before Israel attacked and kidnapped everybody on the boat. There were women and children and families on the beach waiting for us to arrive. So I think the first thing would be a celebration of humanity and solidarity. And following that, of course, it gives us traction to be able to continue in our respective countries to push the need to end the blockade, to signal to our governments that civil society does not support our government's policies and practices with respect to Israel. And I think what it would do for Palestinians is really say, okay, we can be hopeful. Maybe we can actually return to our homeland one day. Maybe we can actually be reunited with our families one day. I think that it would be a freedom of people everywhere because we'd show that it's not acceptable and that people are going to stand up and fight for other people within Mother Earth. So I think that we've got a long ways to go. And I think a win here would be one more step towards, you know, world peace in lots of different ways. You have been listening to my interview with Wendy Goldsmith and Ron Russo of the Canada Boat to Gaza and the Freedom Flotilla Coalition. To learn more about the Canada Boat to Gaza, go to canadaboatgaza.org. And to learn more about the Freedom Flotilla Coalition, go to freedomflotilla.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.